its Innovation Station initiative, the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues at the U.S. Department of State is amplifying women and girls developing solutions to global challenges and helping them connect with new communities that could benefit from their work. Today, you'll meet a few of those innovators as they explain their game-changing, translatable initiatives in their own words. Welcome to SGWE's Innovation Station. Being the most populous city in the United States, New York's transportation system has played a tremendous role in the growth and functioning of the famous metropolis. The Big Apple boasts one of the world's most extensive subway systems, the first mechanically ventilated vehicular tunnel, an aerial tramway, an extensive bus line in each of its five boroughs, comprehensive ferry systems, and of course, who could forget its yellow taxi cabs? In fact, its impressive rate of mass transit use makes New York City one of the most energy efficient cities in the country. When discussing mobility in the context of climate change, it's impossible to ignore the fact that transportation remains the United States' largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. While few oppose the idea of developing more sustainable transportation systems, various challenges within public transit, such as gender-based violence and theft, are disproportionately experienced by women and girls, introducing questions about what it means for transportation to be truly sustainable. At the same time, many older subway systems modeled for a 20th century climate are facing decreased ridership due to severe flooding and other difficulties that lead to unreliability. Accelerating cultural momentum surrounding low emission transit options to mitigate the climate crisis will undeniably require changes within the mobility sphere. This complex issue extends far beyond New York City to include locations ranging from Seattle to Boston, Singapore to Zurich. In this conversation, we'll speak with two innovators who are working to address barriers for women and girls in the transportation sphere, contributing to the advancement of safer, more mobile, and more sustainable communities domestically and internationally. Please join me in welcoming our panelists, Naomi Waura, founder and executive director of Flown Initiative, and Devin Starks, co-founder and director of marketing and communications at HerRide. Naomi, thank you so much for being here. I know you've stayed up uh, fairly late to be with us tonight, so we're very grateful. Uh, would you mind giving us a brief introduction to Flown Initiative? Um, yeah, so good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, right now it's about 9.30 in Kenya. And I just want to thank you for making time to join us today. As introduced, my name is Naomi Mora. I'm the Executive Director of Flown Initiative, which is a charitable trust based in Kenya. And we have over seven years experience in designing, implementing, and coordinating programs in public transport. Uh, we conduct research in the field of mobility and we organize uh, inclusive dialogues with three main groups. Those are the workers in public transport, researchers, and policy makers. And we engage in skill building, idea sharing, and experiential learning that we hope will inspire new solutions to transport challenges faced in our country. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Naomi, and we'll get into that more in just a moment. Devin, welcome to you as well. Could you tell us just a bit about her ride? Hello, everyone. Yes, my name is Devin Starks. I, my pronouns are she, her, and I currently serve as the co-founder and director of marketing and communications for her ride. Her ride was created by our wonderful founder, Jillian Anderson, in 2020, and it serves as an alternative rideshare option for women in the Atlanta area. 
It was built with the needs of women in mind, and our app aims to improve the lives of women everywhere through safer transportation, job creation, and financial security. Happy to be here. Thank you. Well, we're certainly happy to have you. All right, let's get started with our questions, shall we? Naomi, I am going to start with you. Flown Initiative has de developed an educational curriculum for men working in the transportation sector. What strategies do you use to help men understand the safety challenges that women face as transportation users and facilitators? Um, yeah, thank you very much. So the public transport industry in Kenya is very predominantly male um, um, focused. Um, so almost all about seven, only about 7% of women work in the Kenyan public transport industry. And so we developed this curriculum to get men to understand gender issues, both faced by women professionals and women commuters. And we tried out a couple of strategies, but what has stuck, for example, one strategy is that initially, as I mentioned, we are charitable trust and we are women led. And so for this particular curriculum, we used to have um, the women staff um, actually train, uh, but that really did not work as a strategy. And so over the years, we learned that we need to hire older male facilitators to conduct the training. We found out that men are more receptive to listening to and having gender-related conversations with other men as opposed to women. When we try to have women uh, give the same content, we would have issues of um, either being told we are either too educated or uh, we've become more modernized, um, that we are no longer African enough, we've become too westernized. And so that is one of the strategies that we have upheld the entire time um, in our work. And in addition to minimize defensiveness, we use storytelling and analogies. So, for example, one of the trainings we have is called the Violent Clothline, where we have men um, develop a clothline where they talk about the violence they've, they've experienced, how they've felt about it, and who perpetrated it. Um, and then we have violence that they have um, witnessed and how they felt about it and what they did about it and who perpetrated it. And lastly, we have violence that they've perpetrated, how they felt about it and who were the perpetrators. And using this, you can see that men kind of get that awareness that they um, have been the perpetrators of violence, but women have not been the perpetrators of violence against men. And also being able to put the men uh, to be more empathetic and to also put them in a position to see themselves also as a victim of patriarchy. That's fascinating. And so much that we could dive into there that hopefully some of our audience members would love to dive into further as well. Uh, Devin, I'm going to turn to you now. And, and I want to I'm really interested in learning uh, about the strategies that Her Ride uses to respond to the safety concerns of women and LGBTQI plus rideshare users. So our driver vetting and onboarding process, I would say, is very tedious and much different than those that of our competitors. So when a uh, potential driver submits an application, they're required to, of course, submit various documentations and um, images so that we can verify that they are indeed who they say that they are um, while building out these profiles. Um, we have something called our 
onboarding or driver onboarding specialists who help to um, ensure, like during the second round of interviews, um, that these individuals were indeed who they said that they were and that everything lines up in terms of paperwork and photos submitted. And during this process is really where I believe, um, you know, we're really able to um, step in and kind of uh, block out anyone who would be trying to falsify information in order to secure a job position with our company. I actually want to uh, jump right back to you uh, with a quick follow-up. And I know that her ride is is equally concerned about the safety of its drivers as it is about its riders, which I think is a different perspective um, and one that complements what Naomi is doing as well. Um, how does her ride work to improve driver safety? You know, what, what does that look like in practice? Yeah, so I would say that definitely we aim to improve the safety of all of our stakeholders and consumers alike. Um, you know, I made mention earlier of our vetting process and how tedious that was. But for those who may be interested in ways that we are working to keep our drivers safe as well, too, I would say that, you know, we really do look to, um, you know, employ individuals who are great extensions of our brand overall. Our drivers do have the capability of declining ride requests for anyone who may approach their vehicle and does not look like the profile displayed. Um, I think that this is an option available to them that really does help to kind of mitigate some of the issues that many of them have experienced while working for uh, some of our competitors. Um, some additional options that we're working to implement in this next round of, you know, updates for our app is to employ an option where our riders are able to um, verify a four-pin code with our drivers to ensure that they are entering the correct vehicle and that our drivers are, of course, um, accepting the uh, correct rider for that route. Um, I think many of these things really do help to, um, you know, eliminate some of the issues that we're seeing in some of the reports that have been issued by many of the competitors in this industry. Um, you know, the very reason that, you know, this app was created was, you know, by our founder Jillian is because she too herself had experienced some things that made her feel uncomfortable and unsafe working, you know, in the gig working industry. And so she decided to take the necessary steps in order to develop an app that was not sexist, like some people may think or, you know, feel, but really there is an issue that we are tackling head on. And um, it did, like we mentioned before, this is only an alternative, you know, option for rideshare versus it being a main option. Um, there will be opportunities, you know, in the future for us to scale and create, um, you know, extensions of her ride in the future to continue servicing everyone and providing safer transportation. But right now, the focus is on women primarily. Thank you so much, Devin. And and I think the fact that you, as a as a company, prioritize the employment of women in in these driver positions is also something that leads to my next question for Naomi. Uh, Naomi, why is it important to increase the number of women working in the transportation sector, and what changes need to happen in the industry, maybe even in, in the context of your country, to facilitate this? Um, yeah, so women in transport uh, participants have cited public st stigmatization, sexual harassment and assault, and lack of provision of gender-specific labor conditions, and these are like uh, family leave policies, sanitary facilities, and gender-specific equipment, uh, tools, and even personal uh, protective equipment as barriers to maintaining jobs and even accessing jobs in the public transport sector. 
And so for the past seven years, we've worked with over 3,000 public transport workers and 100 plus transport uh, stakeholders and over 1,000 women professionals to implement some interventions some of which uh, include uh, actively recruiting and shining a spotlight on women working in the industry in order to get more women to join. Because when women work in transportation, they are in positions to make changes. And so we've created a community of active network of women professionals who regularly meet and attend professional development courses. And this has led to more women being equipped to do their job. Um, in addition, we are working to normalize women professionals in the industry, and we do this by having our women in transport members featured in theater pieces, films, graffiti murals, songs, newspaper articles, and TV interviews. Um, lastly, we've developed a toolkit which looked at women uh, travel needs and also the needs of women professionals working in the industry. Um, as well as auditing gender sensitive policies that are currently exist. And, and from this case study, we um, developed a series of recommendations on how to create a more safe and accessible public transport. And just allow me to just go through a couple of um, these recommendations. So we provide minimum standard guidelines. Uh, which include the creation of clearly communicated uh, customer feedback and reporting mechanisms. Um, we support uh, public transport organization in developing sexual harassment policies that both safeguard the rights and safety of commuters and employers. And we also support them in training and refresher trainings on the sexual harassment policy. Uh, we also advocate for vehicle modification that supports specific needs, uh, travel needs of not just women, but other vulnerable groups, such as people with disability. And we also have developed uh, gender sensitive uh, human resource policies that include parental leave, staff development programs and gender quotas. Wow, that's really impressive and a lot, um, but a lot of those recommendations, honestly, from the conversation we've had already, they make perfect sense to me. But there is something that you said that I would love to circle back on and ask you a follow-up question about. You mentioned the stigmatization of women working in Kenya's public mm -hmm. transport sector. Can you expand on that a bit? What is the stigma and how does this, per uh, I guess, perpetuate the problems that women face in public transport writ large? Um, so, public transport, as I mentioned, is very male dominated. And so, women who come into the industry, first of all, have to leave their femininity outside the door. And so, and given that the, the culture of public transport is very macho and very rowdy, um, the women are seen as being less women and more manly, which is in our culture is not seen as a good thing. And so most of these women, first of all, struggle with um, being seen as, uh, as professionals, first of all, also as people who either don't have, who didn't get good career options or are high school dropouts. And so, um, so you find most of them are usually single mothers with about an average of three children. So you find that most of them have either been abandoned by their husband because of working in the industry or um, their families are against them and uh, actually disown them when they join the industry. 
Wow, that's absolutely fascinating. Um, absolutely fascinating. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn back to to Devin now, which um, would certainly be curious to hear if you've been having any difficulty in a, in attracting women drivers into your app, um, especially given, you know, the fact that while I don't think that those challenges that Naomi just mentioned are necessarily replicated entirely um, here in the United States, I. I do believe that the perception of transportation is still very male um, here domestically. So, so I don't know if you have any thoughts about that before I go to my next question for you. I, mean, I would agree that the perception of the transportation industry as a whole, you know, um, is looked at as male dominated or concentrated. But I would say that um, I believe women across the board have become more comfortable um, having this as an additional stream of income, if not their, you know, mainstream of income. So I think that gig working is becoming more popular or, you know, having a side hustle, as people may refer to it, um, which has made, I guess, this industry in particular in the U.S. a little different in terms of women's outlook on it. But um, in terms of her rights specifically, I would say the amount of attention that, you know, we've received locally and globally has been able to allow us to explain the reasons that this type of, you know, alternative rights or option is, you know, needed. And I think that women do agree. Most of the things that we have heard have been very in alignment with what we, you know, um, perceive to be true before going into, you know, the industry and of course doing, um, you know, focus groups and, you know, learning more about what women needed and wanted um, if something like this became available. So I do agree that, um, you know, for us right now, currently, when we're onboarding new drivers, the attention and the, you know, support that we have received has been all positive. And that I, that I think leads really well into my next question for you, Devin, which is really the fact that I read in an article profiling your work that the Her Ride app had, I think, 20,000 downloads before you were even accepting ride requests, um, which is mind-blowing to me. And I wanted to know, you know, what does this demand really suggest to you about the rideshare industry as a whole, and how does it motivate your work? Yeah, so, I, you know, a few media outlets have, you know, been great about covering the amazing accomplishments that, you know, our company has been able to receive through our viral recognition in 2020. So, to date, you know, still being able to um, you know, uh, take advantage of that support early on has been, you know, amazing for everyone that is a part of the work that we're doing. Um, I would say in regards to, um, you know, how does this motivate us as a group? It just goes to show that, you know, the rideshare industry isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, if anything, it is becoming more inclusive. And so options like this, you know, um, you know, it makes it easier for us to come in and have these conversations because it isn't, you know, um, you know, a, a monopoly for, you know, women to take over in this industry. So I think that us coming in with the, you know, data that we have and the support that we have along with the drivers that we've been able to secure thus far um, makes the conversations a lot easier about, you know, being able to expand the work that we're doing here within Georgia specifically. But then also as a team, it is it helps for us to redirect and, you know, figure out where should we go next from here based upon the work that we're doing um, right now. You know, these challenges that we're discussing are clearly um, widely applicable, right? You, the, the two of you are working in very different contexts, um, yet still, still are somehow addressing a very similar challenge. Uh, so, Naomi, how might the work of Flown Initiative in Kenya be relevant to the public transportation sector in Latin America, South Asia, or elsewhere in Africa? 
Um, yeah, thank you for that. And I would also want to just add a bit to what Stefan has said. Uh, we've also seen in Kenya where ride sharing apps have been um, shown to be a preferred workplace for women professionals as opposed to our informal public transport industry. Uh, and that is because of the formal structure and the additional uh, safety strategies of uh, ride sharing apps. So I thought that was quite interesting that. Um, the same thing we've seen with ride sharing apps also applies to Devin's work. Um, in terms of replication, we've had interest in our work. So, for example, um, as I mentioned, we're in East Africa. So, East Africa has about, uh, the East African community has about five other countries. So, we've worked in Uganda, for example, and we've worked with uh, labor unions to help them uh, develop a women committee and this particular labor union, which is the amalgamated trade workers union is the biggest trade union in uh, Uganda. So based, uh, so we were funded to go to Uganda and set up the women committee, which is now still running and has gone on to have a fully functional and sustainable financially sustainable women committee. In addition, we've done some work in Rwanda where we've supported social enterprise in developing gender responsive uh, strategies. Uh, we've done this work together with UN Habitat and UNEP. Uh, we've also worked with um, Despacio in Colombia, where we've worked with them to develop a global urban uh, program for women urban leaders that brought together about 60 young um, women urban planners, uh, about I think a third of them were from the African continent on a six month course looking at um, uh, designing more inclusive public transport and um, urban planning. Wow, I, I love being able to talk about um, um, efforts that are really translatable um, because these challenges are so ubiquitous. And it, it looks like folks in our audience feel the same way. There's certainly a kudos here for you, Naomi, for the service you've been able to create um, and, and what it provides. And also, um, I think, Devin, for, for you and, and really being able to tap into this, this challenge area that, that is clearly so important, again, given how many folks downloaded and were interested in what you were doing before you were even off the ground, which is still very impressive to me. Devin, I do know that Her Ride intends to partner with organizations working to combat sex trafficking, gender-based violence, and other critical safety challenges affecting women. Um, what do you hope to accomplish with these partnerships as they get established? Absolutely. So I would say that we've already begun this work definitely within the city of Atlanta by building relationships with government officials. Um, it really is our hope, honestly, that, you know, by building these partnerships, we're able to bring greater awareness to these issues, but then also work alongside these entities to develop innovative grassroots approach that not only educate, but then also have impactful solutions to the audiences that we're servicing. That seems really, really important. And I almost wonder uh, if there's some collaborative or, or best practice sharing potential here between you and, and Naomi <laughs> uh, after this after this conversation. would love to connect the two of you also after this. Um, but Naomi, I, I want to uh, 
ask you a question because I do know that climate change and sustainability are something that you are thinking about in the work that you're doing. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how these topics of, of sustainability and climate change are, you know, being inserted into the work that you're doing at Float Initiative. Yeah, thank you very much. I think for us, the the issue we are working on is the language of climate change. It's very inaccessible for most people. So our work involves breaking down the language so that we could have more people understand it. First of all, most of the conversations we're having about climate change, if I may say so, are in English. And for example, I come from a country where we are trilingual. So I speak Swahili, uh, my native language and English. And then also we have about 42 tribes each with their own native language, and these conversations are not being have are not being had in these languages. So we've been working on breaking down um, that language barrier. Um, also, looking at the way we communicate in our culture, so we are very oral, um, and so having more um, stories to to the issue of climate change, putting more context. Um, or cultural context to these conversations. So, for example, talking about green greenhouse emissions, how do you explain that in, in, in our native language? Um, and also trying to involve more, for example, proverbs and sayings, so people can also be able to relate more to that conversation. That makes a lot of sense. The cultural specificity seems incredibly important, truly across all the conversations we've had, not just in this panel, but the other panels um, that that we had today. Um, Devin, when I last spoke with you and your co-founder, Jillian, um, I remember a little bit about the intention that you all have to do more work in service of the LGBTQI plus community, um, again, in terms of the, their safety and comfort as, as drivers and riders of rideshare. Um, anything you can share about, about those future plans? Yeah, so our founder um, of Her Ride, Jillian Anderson, is a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. So um, it's always been extremely important for her to acknowledge individuals um, by their respective pronouns, of course. And so we have been extremely vocal about being in support of anyone identifying as she, her, to join our team and, of course, utilize our services. And in our next round of updates, we will be including an identity option that allows each individual to, of course, select what their preferred pronouns are so that we can ensure that, you know, of course, you know, um, all writers feel as though they're, you know, being heard and have the option to list that option um, without having to explain when when taking a ride with their ride. That's really, really important and really fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Naomi, I have one more question for you, and then we're going to wrap up with our final question for both of you. Um, you hinted, Naomi, at the fact that mm-hmm. Flown Initiative has, in the past, created a theatrical play about women working in transportation, which I think is such a cool idea. Um, can you tell us about the goal of the project and what impact it had? Um, yeah, thank you. So, as I mentioned uh, about the challenges that women face in the industry, and we had an issue where they could not speak about the issues they are having. So, for example, we had one instance where we had um, one of the lady in another um, session had been 
showcased in a um, TV interview about how she was grappling with um, parenting a one-year-old and how she had considered going to work with her and actually she actually attempted to go to work with her and she got fired for it and so the women wanted to talk about the issues and have the issues addressed by the people in power but didn't want for, for them to be identified as the people who came up with that story so that's how we came up with having a play so the women picked a hero um, and the hero was a lady who had started, for example, being a street preacher and then moved working into the public transport industry. And through her story, we get to see the challenges she faces, for example, the sexual harassment, both from her colleagues and also from uh, the commuters, struggles with parenting, struggle with labor rights issues, struggles with sanitation, and then eventually her becoming a leader in uh, in the public transport industry and being a union leader and unionizing those issues and eventually um, solving those issues. And so while she's solving those issues, she's also providing the solutions to the people in power of what uh, the women in transport would like uh, to happen. And so we had that um, theater piece. We had it uh, the first, we had about three shows, they all sold out. And we also had uh, the play at the Women in Transport Conference, which is one of our signature uh, events that happens every year. And yeah, so that, that was part of the success of the, the play that the women were able to express their issues without uh, exposing themselves to some of the risks, like losing their jobs or being victimized. What a wonderful strategy. We actually have a question from an audience member. Would you mind sharing the name of the play? Yes, it's called uh, Wamama Wama 3. Thank you. Okay, it is time for our final question of the day for both of you. This is our 30-second parting thoughts takeaway message. What advice would you give to other communities grappling with challenges related to the safety and sustainability of transportation systems? Devin, I'll start with you. I would definitely just say um, find uh, your community or your tribe in order to figure out what the um, immediate needs are in order to service them um, for transportation providers in general, at minimum to be able to provide a service that is not only safe, but also in regards to um, being clean and um, you know, providing uh, your expertise in, in, in a way that is receptive to the audience. I think where we have lacked across the board within this industry is you know, these reports that I mentioned earlier go out on an annual basis that really do tackle and admit to some of the things that we've mentioned today, but yet there has been very little done in order to provide a plan to get to the solutions that have been asked from their consumers. So the more that people um, pay attention to the consumer's needs, I think that um, you know, we'll get closer to achieving the goals that we as a whole are looking to achieve um, in terms of safer transportation. And Naomi. Um... I totally agree with Devin. I think uh, I'll just add um, just a few points, but I think she's already spoken about some of the points I had, um, is to start with inclusive research, uh, data-driven 
interventions should be the starting point of all the interventions you plan to, to roll out. Um, and in addition, that we need to be careful about having a savior syndrome. We should know that the community knows their pain, the pain points of their commute. What they just lack is the resources, the networks, and the skills to solve those issues. And in doing so, we also need to be careful that we don't further create new inequalities or amplify the existing inequalities. And then lastly, as Devin has pointed out, is to understand the travel habits of commuters, um, to train and to aim to improve the customer experience and also the experience of the workers, and to also hire a more diverse workforce. This podcast is derived from audio recordings of SGOE's Innovation Station virtual event series. The views expressed in the preceding episode are those of the featured innovators and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues, the U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. Government. For more information on the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues, its initiatives, and programs, please visit the State Department website at www.state.gov.